a Motorsport Podcast Network production. Hey everybody, welcome along. This is Race Control, our special look at what has happened in the weekend's Thrifty Bathurst 500. This round, round one at Mount Panorama, is filtered by Ryko Filters and Supercars Driving Standards Advisor Craig Baird joins me from the Gold Coast. Bairdo, welcome to 2024. We did a few of these at the end of last year. There was such a great response for the fans to understand and learn more about the decisions from race control that we're back for 2024. How good's this? Yeah, very good. It's good to be able to have an opportunity from the race control point of view to be able to come back and, um, you know, explain some things and how we come to some decisions and, and what we have to do to get there. So exciting times ahead. So we've had two weekends of racing already, the Repco Bathurst 12-hour, which you were in race control for with the GT3 cars, but so many of our fans are, are supercars nuts and we got our first taste of supercars 2024 spec last weekend at Mount Panorama. Before we get into some of the on-track scenarios and penalties and, and things that unfolded, did you find being the first round of a season, are the drivers rusty? in their remembering of rules and how things should be or how they remember them from the previous year? Is that a is that a thing that happens? I don't think from a driving component they're ever rusty. You know, they're always, they, you know, it's like riding a bike. They just go straight back out. But they've had test days and bits and pieces. But um, you're probably right. Within teams, there's been, you know, slight rule changes, safety car restarts, full course yellows. There's things that come in. So it takes a little bit of time to phase those things in. Um, but, yeah, I think in general, if I had to say one thing, it's probably the combinations of new drivers, new teams, even if they're, you know, not rookies. There's rookies there. There's guys like Dave Reynolds gone to different teams. There's different driver-engineer combinations. So even the way they respond as a driver to their engineer, how that engineer then responds to contacting race control. So all of those things. Um, and like everyone out there, you know, it takes a little bit of time to get back into the rhythm. There was quite a swap. I think we counted of the 24 drivers in the field for this year's championship. There's 15 engineering changes from this time last year in terms of drivers who are swapping engineers, drivers who weren't in the championship this time last year. So there is a lot of, of change to consider. Let's jump in. Let's go to Saturday. Um, and qualifying because there was a scenario, Beto, where we saw a couple of drivers, uh, Ryan Wood, the young rookie from Walkinshaw Andretti United, and Macaulay Jones both lose their uh, fastest times from that session. The session got close to the end and Matt Payne ended up in the sand at the final corner. Yellow flags were out. I think there's a few fans who are puzzled. Why did some drivers get penalised and lose their fastest times, whereas, for example, David Reynolds actually went faster and he didn't get penalised in terms, when I say faster, faster in terms of his overall lap time, he went quicker. Yeah, so the first thing we do is we do a timing report. Um, we knew there was five cars from the initial timing report um, that had gone, set up their best lap on, the, on that last lap under single yellow. So then we'll take the lap time, then we'll break that down to a sector and then we'll break it down into micro sectors. So unfortunately for two of them, um, which was the Woods car and Macaulay Jones, they set their fastest sector um, of the session with a yellow flag out. The other two, uh, three, sorry, 
which was Mostert, Reynolds and Frosty, um, didn't complete their fastest sector. So that's the way we try and be as fair as we can with them. Um, and to be fair, from, from race control, when, when I had to go and sit with the stewards and do the timing report, it look, for Macaulay, it didn't make a lot of difference for him and he could accept a penalty and he, and, he, and he looked at it, whereas team representatives from Walkinshaws, they're bringing a car and I've got a hand, a rookie, his first time, first race gets or qualifying, gets into top 10 shootout and I'm the one that's got to go and report the bad news that we've got to take him out of that. But it could have been worse for Walkinshaws too because it could have, if, if you take it on the overall lap time, um, it would have been both of their cars uh, losing that lap. So I think we played that as fair as we could. Um, some people will agree, some people won't. Take into consideration, it's a very visual corner too. You could see where a car was. It was a single yellow, not a double wave. That would make a big difference. And in fairness, if it had to be a double wave, you'd just automatically red flag it. And I believe in the rules it should actually be if a car's off, just red flag it. It would just simplify it because the amount of time to go through 24 cars and, and who did their fastest uh, sector, it was it was yeah. a lot of work. I, I yeah. uh, became a maths teacher. <laughs> yeah, and that is one way it was mentioned in the media room over the weekend that, well, we could remove this. I mean, if a driver is... 0.001 faster or slower than their fastest sector through that sector, then you've got the whole argument over, well, they were slower, but by a margin that was almost so minuscule. And that's right. But what we're trying to do is not issue out the penalties. You know what I mean? We don't want to take people's qualifying time away. So that's how we've been adjudicating it. Whether that's, I think it's the fairest way. If I had to put a, 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 a real MA hat on, is it the safest way? Probably not. Would I do it in club-level racing? No, I wouldn't. But when you're dealing with 24 professional guys and the work and the, and the, the effort that goes into that one lap just to chuck a red when eight people have got a complete lap, it's a, it's a tough call. So yeah, a yes and a no. A bit of maths there for you to uh, contend with. We saw also um, uh, a couple of first corner um, or run up to the first corner scenario. So race one on Saturday, there was a, a multi-car clash. Ryan Wood ended up in the sand. So, uh, I mean, what a rough day. He had plenty of speed, um, didn't get into the shootout when he thought he had and then ended up in the sand at turn one. Was that one of those classic scenarios of just lots of cars going all in there? There was no driver solely, wholly to blame for that one? Yeah, look, what actually happened in the end, um, Ryan Wood had a very good start, um, parted his way through a couple of cars, then then realised that he needed to move a little bit left, bounced off that car, then he's got Slade on the outside. And when you pull it all apart, he interlocked a uh, right front wheel with um, Tim Slade, uh, left rear, uh, broke the steering arm, and that took his ability for any left turn, so he just went straight through. So it's kind of magnified for him. Um, people probably thought he dived down there and didn't make the corner. He would have made the corner. Um, Slaty would have been run a little bit wide, but they're four abreast at that time. Um, so again, you just got to feel sorry for him. Um, that was a racing incident, but he probably had more blood on his hands than everyone else. 
But that's what racing's about. You got to, uh, and that's why he's in the the main game, is because the kids have got so much raw talent. And you know, first start at Bathurst, full tanks, tall diff ratio, got a cracker, and was trying to utilise it. But at the end of the day, when you step into the main game, people are not going to move. People just refuse to move. They're mm. uh, they're all hardened races. So he's got to find that little happy medium of gaining one spot or two spots uh, or thinking about is he better to try and do a bit of completion at the moment, which he probably is, and I think I heard him say that on a on an interview. He wished he had have completed both of the races. Yeah, and again on Sunday he had a drama that meant he was a retirement on the run to the first corner this time rather than at the first corner. Um, Cam Hill was involved in that. How was that all adjudged to have unfolded? Yeah, well, that was... That was Hill just unawares that a car got a better start and was up alongside him. He he, he got a reasonable start, but he went to go, uh, just moved left um, and just tripped over the front of another car, um, resulting in a little bit of carnage there. So, um, yeah, like that was very avoidable, that one, to be fair. So it cost him dearly, and I think if he looked at it, um, especially from the helicopter shot, you sort of takes a little little bit of time to unfold it. But uh, when I looked at the helicopter shot, it was whoops, there it is, mm, clear as day when you can see it from the chop of the eye in the sky. I think reading the stewards' report too, Beto, that was another element, another angle that was brought into play um, for the other incident on Sunday that I wanted to mention with you, which was Brock Feeney down the inside of James Golding at the chase in the early laps. There was a, a five-second penalty for, for Brock out of that one, and the helicopter came in handy to have a look at that one for you too. Yeah, it was. We immediately got a report from um, – it was actually the first report came in from uh, – Triple Eight Racing, saying that Golding had moved under brake. So that was one of the first things I looked at. Um, but he did not deviate at, at all through the braking phase. Yes, he did get down at one point, have to get, but you've got to turn left at some point. And we've discussed that previously. But um, look, Brock was a little bit too committed to it um, and locked the wheel couldn't turn hard enough left, which you can't, you bounce off the kerb. He ran off the road, resulting in taking Golding off the road. Um, Golding lost eight positions out of that once once it sort of had shuffled down. Um, Brock had lost one, but as both parties said, I heard an interview with Triple Eight and they, Jamie, you know, he was pretty honest about it, viewed it, looked at it. Yes, he should have had a go, and Brock's growing. Brock's growing as a driver. Brock's growing in his confidence, and Brock's stepped up to the plate to let, – let's just call him a team leader at the moment. The only reason I say that is because he's already been there. He's established. Um, he came off the back of a very good season last season and just got stronger and stronger. So I think he's got to find – you know, he's like like everyone, they, they just keep building, and, and the toughness is part of – Brock Feeney, because Brock Feeney has never been into my office in the time he's been in supercars. So um, he probably needs to come for a visit now and again and he'll find, <laughs> you know, he just needs to find where it is. But you try and let as much go as you can. But if I put James Golding hat on, um, I'd be a little bit annoyed. But what I'm finding with Golding is he's, he, he is a ripper of a bloke. 
a very, very talented race driver and he's been around enough and raced enough different, different things that, you know, some, sometimes you're just on the receiving end of something unfortunate. There was no intent. So uh, we, we want them to have a good crack, you know. That's, mm. that's, that's what supercars need. We need to fire it up a, as much as we can. So I'm trying to keep the whistle in the pocket as much as I can. Play on, play on. I know that's been a, an ethos for a while of yours. Another thing that caught my eye, and I think it caught everybody else's eye, because we weren't quite sure where it was going to go, literally, was Saturday afternoon when the wheel came off Cam Waters' car and instantly, I think a few people, particularly because of where it was on the track, had the sudden flashback to Craig Lowndes copping that pulled umbrella Castrol Perkins wheel through the window, uh, 2005, which is... Scary to think that that's a long time ago. So that wheel had a bit of a mind of its own there. And I guess it, it's one of those damned if you do, damned if you don't. You, you go for full course yellow or safety car because there's something rolling on the track. And as sure Murphy's Law, as you do that, it stops or it moves out of the way. It's one of those scenarios whereby you're sort of damned if you did, damned if you didn't on that one. Yeah, look, and put anyone in that situation where they've got to call it. You're trying to do the right thing by the by the race and 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 let it carry on. But then you've got safety is a priority. Um, but where the wheel was actually headed, there's a bit of a gap there, and we thought we were going to be lucky. But it, then it hit. It didn't get to the gap. It actually hit the fence and then shot across the road. So there's a process you've got to go through between um, the race director and myself making a decision what tools in the toolbox do we use, um, then you've got to, this is what people probably don't understand, is the communication between uh, the clerk of the course or the race director, the clerk of the course, you've also got to communicate out to the flag points. Um, so it, it, you could look at it and say we went a little bit late, but if we'd gone early, it would have stopped and everyone said you went too early. So mm. look, you can only do what you can do. There's a human element in those decisions. Um, but we opted for the full course yellow. Um, now, full course yellow is very different to a to a safety car. Uh, full course yellow, we counted in with a fifteen second, and then they've got to be on their limiter. Um, the difference with full course yellow is it's for something. It's in the toolbox for something very minimal, something that we don't need recovery vehicles or, or medical staff or people really exposed on the track. It's just neutralising the race to grab something, i.e. the wheel that was on resting against the wall. So it's the first time we used it, but I must say the sad part from, you know, and I'm a spectator too, even though I'm in race control, I'm still watching the race and you want to race. The, the greatness of a safety car is we compress the field and we all rub our hands together and go, well, safety cars breed safety cars. Um, we've got another race on our hands. So is everyone a fan of the full course yellow? Probably not. Um, but for those very minor details, um, I, I think it's, it's not a bad tool. Um, but our safety car procedures changed as well. So safety car now, we had a real fear, and so did the drivers, of racing back to pit lane. So it was actually a catch-up board, not a, not a safety board. So now what we do is when the safety car is going to be deployed, we count that down. So safety car will go on standby. The race director will then count in to all limiters being on, which is that 15-second period. Look, that may change. To me, it's a little bit 
long, but we want feedback from the drivers, which we're talking to them now. You know, it may end up at 10 seconds, it may end up at eight seconds, but they are the ones that know what they need. So those things are adjustable um, and may change a little bit to perfect both systems, full course yellow and, and safety car. But So the safety car, once they're down on their limiter, once we're happy and the recovery teams are happy, they may still be having a vehicle on the trip on the track, maybe putting a car onto the back of a truck, whatever, but the drivers all know now where it is, they're all aware of it, and then we may, when we're happy and they're happy, we'll just say, hey, uh, we're happy to compress the field, limiters can be turned off, we compress the field, and then we're back to a normal safety car restart, Mm -hmm. which is what everyone wants. Yeah, I guess too, there's probably a bit of um, time for supercar fans. It's a, it's quite a different system. Fans who might follow GT racing around the world might be a bit more familiar with it, um, but it is something new here. And I al- almost had the feeling from the fan base on the weekend that it wasn't because we've had safety cars in Australian motorsport for the best part of uh, since the late 80s, particularly at Bathurst with the 1000. Um, everyone's got very familiar with how it works, but this was quite a bit of a different step. So maybe from a fan base perspective, it's going to take a little bit of time to understand how it rolls out. But let's not forget the reason why, as you mentioned, to do this is to stop the drivers, like we saw at Albert Park last year with Jack LeBrock's car crashed against the wall, racing back to the control line, to the pit lane, um, and going through sections of the track that have incidents, medical crews, recovery crews in them um, to, to, to nullify that scenario. Yeah, and look, at, at the 12 hour, if we go back the week prior, um, we got slammed a bit um, in the media or, or Motorsport Australia did um, for not using the full course yellow. But there was a reason behind that because in the 12 hour rules, we also have a thing called the wave bite, the lucky dog. So JT and I had sort of, uh, James Taylor is in the race director, and I uh, had had discussions on that. And I said, well, if there's a wave by, the best thing for entertainment is to keep as many cars on the lead lap. So let, let, let's not really utilise the full course yellow. So a lot of that was discussion between us two. There's no point having a lucky dog or a wave by if we're only going to use full course yellows. So, you know, most of the you know, even Triple Eight in their GT, in the Wind Cup car, um, they utilised nine wave buys, nine of them to keep them in the game. Um, So people want one thing, take another, and then talk (laughs) about another. So what was best for the race? What did we think was the lucky dog all about? was about utilising the safety car and keeping people on the lead lap. So to answer any questions on on that, why we didn't use it in GT as much as we could have. Um, it was just very simple. Lucky dog. Yep, understand. Oh, I'm not a fan of the lucky dog, but that's a chat for another I day. I do not, mate. I'll, I'll say my little bit there. Yeah, if I'm having a bad game of tennis at Wimbledon, um, I don't go up to the umpire and say, hey, just can I have a game or two to keep me <laughs> in the match? Give it's, me a free point or three. <laughs> it, yeah, I'm not a, I'm, I'm not a fan. Not Maybe not so bad for GT, um, but when we utilise it with 24 of the best drivers in the country or, or 48 when we go to the 1,000, um, 
get to the end as fast as you can and put your best foot forward. If you're having a bad day, don't look for race control to keep you a lucky dog. I'm not a I'm not a fan. And what people don't understand, the the workload to work out the t- at the time of the deployment, which cars not on the lead lap sounds easy, but you've got cars diving into pit lane that are trying to put themselves a lap down. Um, so as they can get a free pit stop and the lucky dog, it is an absolute nightmare. But uh, anyway, as you say, we'll let that one play out in a thousand. That one can be an ice cream headache for another day, mate. Uh, before we let you go, uh, the Dunlop Series supported the Thrifty Bathurst 500 round one last weekend up at the mountain. A couple of incidents I wanted to dive into out of that because um, – Remember, a lot of these drivers we'll see later in the year as co-drivers at Sandown and Bathurst. There's some new faces in there, some really good, exciting young drivers who did some good stuff on the weekend. But there were a couple of incidents that I wanted to cover. One of them was um, on the Saturday at the cutting. There was a, a multi-car wreck where the, the track, you know, I was having the, the audio in my ear of the tracks block, the tracks block from Cropton from years ago, where that all kicked off with... Um, uh, Zane Morrison, Cameron Crick, and then it was just carnage behind. What was your your read on what unfolded there? Because that's a pretty tricky part of the track with something like that unfolding ahead of oncoming traffic. Yeah, so what happened, and we, we had um, two incidents there that looked very similar. If you're just sitting there watching TV, the Saturday one and the Sunday one with um, Bates and Cooper Murray, they look the same, but they're very, very different when you pull them apart. So the Saturday one, um, I think people were sort of throwing stones at Cameron Crick, but because there was a sort of concertina and a queue going in there quite slowly and they were all very wide, he kind of just filled the gap and Morse just didn't see him. But he was way in there, had plenty of room. The outside lane was quite slow because of the concertina. So he had every right to fill the gap and he had, you know, he was right up inside um, so then what happened, they made contact, um, Morse actually continued. What happened was Vidal on the outside just got tagged and he ended up against the wall on the outside. So then you've got everyone trying to fan out to see what's going on, but they're all really blind. You had Kelly on the inside, you had poor Johnson, you had McLeod and they're all trying to come from the right-hand side of the track to the left-hand side to, to, to miss it and... Cars just got turned, it, you know, it's one of those things. Um, everyone w- wanted to blame Cameron Crick, but on that occasion, um, as I said, again, frame by frame and you use the helicopter and you go, how much overlap? Uh, take all those things into consideration uh, because it's a very low percentage move to pass anyone at the cutting. And that was the difference when I looked at the one on the Sunday. Um, that's a, just two cars racing one-on-one both on the same same style car, same tyre, two very good drivers. Um, I've never been passed there and I've never passed a car there. So when you say it's a low percent percentage manoeuvre, um, Bates just ne- he wanted a gap and there's always a little bit of a gap as you come around the kink before it, but that diminishes very quickly and he tried to create the gap A, too late, didn't get enough overlap, causing oh, avoidable contact, taking a car out of the race. So I was a little bit surprised with with that because he's an extremely good driver, was in a very good position, 
second, running second overall for the weekend, and he's a real championship contender. Uh, he was very upset with the decision, um, but I spoke to Luffy. Luffy already knew. He goes, mate, not up far enough, I know, um, mm. but he will come and see me. Um, but I had a long driver's briefing with them and quite a harsh one, and I said, I'm sick and tired of people coming to me at the last race of this championship saying, oh, if this didn't happen in the last race, I, and I told them all, it's not the last race. It's the first, second, right through the season you can win or lose a championship. And that could be a championship decider for young Bates. Many races to go. Everyone has a bad weekend. Hopefully that's his. He can tick that box and get on and, you know, every race. If you're having a bad day and you're fourth, um, you got to put those points in the basket and just keep mm. going to the next race. And that's what a Jamie Wincup always did. So if they want to be the next Jamie Wincup, make sure your car gets to the uh, the end of the races. Know when to hold them, know when to fold them. It's an old adage, yeah. but it's very true. So that was 30 seconds um, given to Zach Bates for that penalty. So Cooper Murray's start to the Dunlop series starts pretty disastrously because he's got a big fat donut from being in the wall on the, the previous day as well. So tough times for one of the, the young guns who is one of the guys who we're looking to see uh, do well in Dunlop Series this year. Beto, that's all I had on my list between main game and Dunlop Series. It wasn't a massive controversial weekend, but there was always things for us to pull apart that go on in race control and on and off the track as well. Uh, remember that this race control episode is for Ryko, great partners of V8 Sleuth, Supercars, Motorsport Australia. They're the experts in air filters, cabin air filters, oil and fuel filters find out more now at ricofilters.com.au they have brought you race control for round one at mount panorama for the repco supercars championship uh beto thank you for your time mate great to catch up we'll see you down here in melbourne for the grand prix the melbourne super sprint which is round two and races three four five and six of the repco supercars championship for 24 and uh we will try try to lock in some good weather for you perfect can't wait see you there there he is, Craig Baird. Hope you've enjoyed this latest edition of Race Control presented by Ryko Filters. We'll chat with you after round two from the streets of Albert Park. <laughs>